Welcome to Who Watches the Watchmen, a weekly discussion podcast of the HBO series Watchmen. My name is Derek Wong. And I'm Jeff Zhang. So uh, we're finally in the home stretch of the season of Watchmen, huh? Mm-hmm. Uh, only one episode left. Today we're going to be talking about the penultimate episode titled A God Walks Into A Bar. And this episode was once again directed by Nicole Cassell, making a welcome return after directing the first two episodes of the series. And on writing duties this time, we have Jeff Jensen sharing a co-writing credit with Damon Lindelof. So interesting story about Jeff Jensen. I'm actually very familiar with him because uh-huh. for the longest time in the 2000s, I knew him as Doc Jensen. Do you know Do you know who Doc Jensen is? No. So he exclusively covered Lost for Entertainment Weekly. Oh. He would be the one on EW that would always like recap the show talk about theories, and I would always read his recaps, and they were really great. And I guess at some point, he actually befriended Damon Lindelof because he also worked on the film, uh, the Brad Bird film, Tomorrowland, with him. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty cool to see him as co-writer on this huge episode of Watchmen, right? That is very, very cool. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, let's chat about the title of the episode for a second here. Like, Mm -hmm. There's clearly a bunch of meanings to it, right? First and foremost, we have like the most literal interpretation, which obviously has Dr. Manhattan, who's pretty much a god walking into an actual bar where Mm -hmm. he meets Angela for the first time, right? And then second, we can get into the way the title is actually portrayed, which is a god walks into a bar. We can have even more meanings. Like obviously it can represent Dr. Manhattan inhabiting a new body, the one of Calvin Abar, or you can also take it to mean Dr. Manhattan walking into or like meeting Angela Abar, mm-hmm. right? So there's mm-hmm. multiple interpretations there. And it's interesting to note that HBO and Lindelof did a little switcheroo with the title because for the longest time, up until the release of this episode, at least, the title was simply A God Walks Into a Bar, with A and Bar being separate words. So like mm-hmm. obviously this was done to keep the identity of Dr. Manhattan a secret, I assume. Mm-hmm. But now after the episode aired, it's been corrected to A-Bar. Because like, that's what it, the title card shows too, right? Oh. Because it used to be a god walks into a bar on like, the Wikipedia, all the promotional material. So they changed it after the fact, I think. I think it's pretty clever just to keep audiences in the dark, right? You know? Yes. So. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure they don't want to give away all their secrets right at the beginning. Yeah. Especially because titles of like episodes titles of songs i know that sometimes they use on like soundtracks for movies give away spoilers so right right i'm pretty sure they were very aware of what they were doing yeah for sure so what do you think about this episode i love this episode you love this episode i do i do just because i didn't know that we were gonna get a dr manhattan episode just because i haven't Uh been paying attention to the the titles and everything so I imagine he was going to be a character. I didn't think that we were going to get an episode where we were going to get the like 
experience what it was like to be, I guess, Dr. Manhattan, right? Where we get the experience of how he experiences time all at once. Mm -hmm. And I, I thought it was just a really unique way to frame this episode. Yeah, I really enjoyed the episode as well. I have a little bit of frustrations with it at some points. I think we'll get into this later. Okay. And I've also been like reading a lot of reactions from critics and their takes on the episode. And I think what resonated with me the most, I know you read Vox, their TV critic, Emily Vanderwerf. Mm -hmm. She said something which directly relates to Damon Lindelof and his style of creating or whatever. She wrote that great romance and wooing stories involve proximity while great love stories involve separation. And mm -hmm. she said this is what Lindelof knows better than anyone else in the storytelling business. So like, if you go down the list of his work, you obviously have all these examples of uh, what she's saying, right? You have Desmond and Penny from Lost, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and maybe even like Sawyer and Juliet, you know? And for those of you who have watched The Leftovers, Kevin and Nora from The Leftovers, and now you have Angela and John. So I think it's very interesting that this season has veered into this weird love story territory. And I really like a good love story, you know? And yes. I thought this episode really delivered on that front. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think there was a, there was this meme where it was, a, I don't, I forgot who posted it on Twitter. She was like, Damon Lindelof is presenting a mystery puzzle box show. And then later on, it's like, surprise bitches. It's a love story. You know? Yep, yep <laughs> exactly. <pretty> funny. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely making a statement, right? Because it's a penultimate episode. Like, right, right. I mean, this pretty much is what the series is leading up to. Right. And like the issues with race kind of take a back seat here. Uh, at some points, it's a little noticeable, but mm -hmm. I think it's actually a welcome little diversion from the heavy, heavy race aspects that the mm -hmm. show has tried to tackle in the past. Yeah. But we'll, we'll get into that later. Well, one thing I do want to get. Yeah. Into before, I guess we get into you know breaking down the scenes. Uh -huh. I, I do want to commend the episode for not going where I was afraid it might go. I think I have a sense of where you're going, but yes. yeah. So what I'm thinking is that the whole episode purposely does not show you what John looks like before he comes back and inhabits yeah. uh, Calvin's body, right? Even, you know, Angela does make a point saying, like, you still look like Calvin. Yeah. That means he didn't look like this before, but the show purposely doesn't show us what he looked like before because before he takes Calvin's body, he is a, you know, a white Jewish man and he becomes Dr. Manhattan. He still looks like himself, right? Mm -hmm. But he's blue, but he sounds like Calvin. Like, she does make a point saying, like, oh, your voice changed, but let's it be honest. It's, it's, it is his voice. Yeah. Um, it is Yaya Abdul Mateen's yeah. voice. I think it's at a different register. Yeah. But it's definitely his voice. Like I said, I want to commend it for not going where, because I was really afraid they were going to just either show him as a white man and then just still have his voice, or they were going to somehow change it so that he was a black man you know i don't know i don't know where but it could have also been. on the other hand just because they don't show it doesn't mean that's not the case right i mean yeah but i think it's evident that they were very they stepped aware. around it you know? yeah. They, yeah aware that it could be an issue aware, right, right. yeah it could be an issue and they tried their sure. best to avoid it i think in all costs and at least i can commend it for that but i wanted to talk about that a little bit before we actually yeah. get into the episode but yeah okay let's get into the episode so the episode starts with, I guess we're back in Saigon, 
and it's another VVN day, but it's not the same VVN day that we saw last week's episode. This is, I guess, mm-hmm. 23 years since her parents' death. We see this blue glow, and we see a man walk up and pick up this Dr. Manhattan mask on the ground. And this is the same scene that we've seen over and over in the trailers, if you watch the trailers. Right. We see the man put on the mask, and we see him from behind, and we notice that the man is blue, right? So he's right. kind of walking through the street, and then we see this mural, the same mural of Dr. Mahan we saw, I think, in Angela's flashback, right? It's him with wings and people kind of admiring him, but I guess over time, people have drawn this, like, penis, basically, right? Right. Where his, his penis would be. So it, it kind of tells the passage of time, but also tells you that maybe people don't admire this godly figure as, as, as they used to. I feel like there was always a contentious relationship mm-hmm. between the Vietnamese people and Dr. Manhattan, but like, I think it's the culture that dictates they worship a godlike being that subjugated them, but it doesn't mean that they have to love him, right? Yeah. But yeah, you're definitely right. Like, this definitely shows the passage of time and how their view of him has soured even more, I think. And then uh, we see this man walk into a bar which was really cool because we saw the actual title of the show right that's kind of right plastered over this facade of the bar and he actually kind of walks right through the title and into the bar did you notice the name of the bar yeah it's uh mr eddie's bar <laughs> yes so that is a, a reference to there is a very famous scene that happens in a bar in vietnam between dr manhattan and edwin blake right um or edward Blake, uh the comedian Right. And if you actually notice, the, uh, and I, I think I read an interview with, with the director, Nicole Castle, that yeah. this is supposed to be that bar. Like oh, it's he, supposed to be that bar. I read something where she said that it was definitely a reference to it, but it's supposed to be that bar. Okay, interesting. Well, at least okay. that's how I interpreted that. Because okay. even if you look at the facade of the front of that bar, and if you go back into the comics, it's like the same kind it's of... very similar. Okay. So maybe maybe it's not the exact same bar because I don't think in the comics it was called Mr. Eddie's Bar. Right. But I think, if anything, it is supposed to make you think about that exact yeah. same bar. We see Angela sitting at a table. She's in uh, her police outfit. And we see this man grab two beers from the bar and he brings it to the table. <laughs> the first thing he asks is, uh, will you have uh, dinner with me tomorrow night? Mm-hmm. And he says if he can guess why she's drinking alone will she at least let him join her because she's really right off the bat it's like no i'm not gonna have dinner with you please go away but she plays this little game and he says that she's commemorating the anniversary of her parents death and then she realizes like okay that's exactly what i'm doing so go ahead sit down we'll keep playing this game and then this is kind of the first hint we get at his abilities right or his sense of how he perceives time. He says, like, how did you know that? That I was here commemorating my parents' death. And he says, you told me. And that you're going to tell me in about 20 minutes. So if people don't remember our discussion from our prologue episodes, we kind of described how Dr. Manhattan perceives time. He's a character that experiences all moments of his life at the same time. This is been one of my favorite episodes only because of i think the dialogue is just so clever and this framing device is fantastic yes the scene at the bar it bookends like the entire episode but yeah. it's not just flashbacks and cutting to 
different scenes, it's actually Dr. Manhattan or John like experiencing these events. Yeah. While he's sitting down and talking to Angela for the yeah. for the first time, right? Very, very clever, I think. She asks like how did he know this stuff? And he answers that he's Dr. Manhattan, so he's not lying about who he is. She has this really uh snarky remark like why would someone who says he's Dr. Manhattan be wearing a Dr. Manhattan mask? Right. He says he doesn't want to be recognized. And then she brings up the, you know, the story of Zeus, you know, the Greek god that would kind of come down and disguise himself and so that he could sleep with women. And she, you know, right. she's, she's afraid that that's, this is exactly what he's doing. So she guesses that he popped down from Mars to Saigon and 20 years after he he abandoned humanity so she's basically kind of prodding at him like well why are you here you know now when everyone thinks that you're you're on mars right mm-hmm. he says that it's not him on mars but in fact that it's just a recording of him so i guess all those scenes that we've seen throughout the series are now i'm curious like who fabricates these recordings or is it something that he's done in the past and then he I mean, I don't recorded know. it or they just digitally created it so it looks like you know what I mean? But there haven't been that many instances. I mean, how many times have we... I want to say, like, two max. Well, no, well, I, like I'm a... thinking about, like, the actual, like, people in this world. Because didn't we learn that it's, like, a 24-hour viewing cycle for this? Oh, like, you can, at true. any point, yeah, jump so into guess... this this TV channel and see what he's doing. I guess it has to be some kind of fabricated digital, like, loop or, like... Yeah, computer, where it looks like, like he's like, doing yeah. something different all the time, right? Yeah, that's that's possible. Yeah. Then she asks um, where he's he really has been, and then official podcasts clarify that he's on uh, a moon of Jupiter called Europa. <laughs> and she asks what he's been doing on Europa, and he says, "What am I doing there now?" So again, using the dialogue to explain that he is experiencing all the moments in his life at once. He, it's not what he did on Europa; it's what he's doing now, even though it was. In the past. Right. <laughs> That's just so funny. It's weird. <laughs> mm. He says the way he experiences time is unique. For her, this is going to be infuriating. And we're definitely going to see this later, right? He says uh, he's simultaneously in this bar with her and on Europa creating life at this moment. Mm-hmm. And she asks, you know, how does he create life? And he responds with a wave of his hand. So was there anything that kind of stood out to you other than kind of these instances where now he's talking about how he experiences time? This is like the signature of Dr. Manhattan. It's how mm-hmm. he perceives time. But I want to make it clear that he is not a witness to various probabilities. I believe it's just one timeline. Yeah, he's experienced um, so only not, in his life. It's not like a Doctor Strange in Avengers Endgame type mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, deal where it's like, oh, it's all these possibilities, and then this one's the most probable. He he doesn't do that. So, but then we get into that scene later, right? Where it seems like he maybe we'll get into that scene later. The one you know by the pool where he's able to talk to two different timelines and then it almost seems like he does affect it, right? Because of the fact that he's in... But he doesn't affect it, really. Like, he makes that choice to, like, relay the message from the past to the present. That's true. You know? So, we'll, we'll get into that later. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if you hadn't noticed, there's a ton of music cues in this episode involving the color blue. So oh, no, I didn't notice when that. he touches down in Vietnam or when he enters the scene... You know, walking down the street towards the bar, 
it opens with a riff on Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue. So when he's walking into the bar to meet Angela, that's what's playing. And then, so now this flashback, well, I guess you can't really call it anything in this episode of flashback since <laughs> he's experiencing everything in the past, present, and future altogether. <laughs> this scene, I guess, where Dr. Manhattan first creates life is accompanied by Strauss's uh, The Blue Danube Waltz, right? Mm -hmm. So he's on Europa, he says in a voiceover, and it's 1985. And he's terraforming Europa and creating life. So you see him create an entire environment. And he says that a primordial ocean transmutes into a liquid creation engine. I step out onto the amniotic lake, a hatchery stocked with miracles. And Angela interrupts him and she's like, wait a minute, you walk on water? <laughs> so like, and he says, occasionally, yes. And Angela loves making these little Jesus digs at him, I guess. Yeah. And she eventually asks him, did you create Adam and Eve too? And Dr. Manhattan replies, Adam and Eve were fictional characters. And what he did was for real. It then cuts to him levitating two of those weird fetuses we saw in episode four out of the water where Adrian Veidt aged them to adults in that little centrifuge device. Mm -hmm. And then Dr. Manhattan, he grows them into adults as well. And we can instantly recognize them as Mr. Phillips and Crookshanks, right? Mm -hmm. From all the Adrian Veidt sidebars we've been visiting this entire season. He says that he gives them higher brain function, instantaneous speech, and self-awareness. And then he says that they need a place to live, and he zaps in this giant manor from Earth. And it's the same castle that we've been seeing in these Ozymandias flashbacks, right? Angela asks him, why is he teleporting an existing manor from Earth if he can just create one? And he replies that it has a special meaning to him. Now, this is getting into the origin of Mr. Phillips and Crookshank. So everything's coming together in yes. this episode, I think. So like the one thing I wanted to say is that this basically confirms to us it was Dr. Manhattan that created the, what do you want to call it, a biosphere that Adrian's captured in, right? Right. So it's you know it's not true. It's it's not anybody else. Now it's basically confirmed that it was Doctor Manhattan, and he's the creator of of Crookshanks and and Mr. Mr. Phillips. Right. And now we find out that there's a reason that they look the way they do. Right. Mm -hmm. He explains that he's experiencing the past, present, and future all together at the same time. And at the same time, he's speaking to Angela. He's also creating life on Europa, and he's also escaping Nazi Germany with his father as a small boy and as a boy him and his father are taken in by this kindly english couple i want to say who live in a manner just like the one on europa now and he's in there with a bunch of different refugees from world war ii and he's wandering the mansion eating an apple when a small domed vivarium catches his eye so like the vivarium is another through line for the comics in the show as Ozymandias had one in Karnak, as does Lady True in the Millennium Clock. Obviously, this one's a little smaller. It's got a bunch of little butterflies in it, but John's intrigued by it, right? And then um, the couple, they barge in, and they go to have sex on the bed, and John hides in the closet. Uh, but he's caught when he accidentally drops the apple he's been eating, and the couple open the door to the closet he's in. And here we see that the couple look exactly like Mr. Phillips and 
Crookshanks. Mm -hmm. So for some reason, I definitely thought they were going to be mean to him. So I feel like this is where these shows always go. Yeah. I just got that feeling. But they're actually really nice to him, though, you know? And but with that, that why, makes sense, right? Yeah, because yeah. he creates them in his image. But mm -hmm. I feel in like that's like kind of a trope. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in their image. Yeah. But yeah, they're really nice about it. They they sit John down later and they explain that what he saw was a good thing, a beautiful thing, and that they were trying to create life. And they gift him with a Bible. Mm -hmm. And John turns to the page of the story of Adam and Eve. And interesting bit here, the illustration is done by none other than Dave Gibbons, who is the artist of the original graphic novel. Oh, cool. Um, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, so that illustration's by Dave Gibbons. And John says that his father never believed in religion or God, but the couple tells him that it doesn't matter. And they make John promise that when he grows up, he'll try and create something beautiful of his own. Mm -hmm. And so even though they're a religious couple, um, and John doesn't really believe in any of that stuff, he does take that to heart, right? And he, mm -hmm. he is trying to create life, and he successfully does so on, on Europa here. So it's an interesting little origin story for Mr. Phillips and Crookshanks. Now, I'm, I'm, I believe that probably Ozymandias <laughs> named them that. I don't think that they had names before. No, and, and, and <laughs> they purposely don't have names yeah. in this sequence either. Right, like, right, they don't exactly. actually know their yeah. real names. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. one thing I did want to point out is that the interesting line that he does say when he sees that little vivarium on the desk is that it says it will inspire him to create a jar of his own on Europa right. later. So like basically, again, looting that this is where his idea of creating this like biosphere on Europa uh -huh. comes from. Yeah, but this was interesting. I, I didn't think we would uh, jump this far back, right, into the history of John Osterman. Right. right. Yeah. So it was really interesting to see this kind of, you know, origin for uh, Mr. Phillips and, and Crookshanks, but then also see that it directly relates to, to John. So uh, we move back to the bar. What I didn't mention before is that uh, this is 2009. I believe, right? Because mm -hmm. it's, it's 10 years before the incidences that we're, we're seeing uh, in our main storyline. And uh, Angela says that he has a fantastic imagination. And then John chuckles, right? Because he says six months from now that someone tells him that he has a profound lack of imagination. Mm -hmm. And then she kind of poking at him again, keeps prodding at his you know, friends. And um, he says, oh, perhaps he's more of a, a colleague <laughs> that tried to kill him once. Right. So if you know the comic, you know that the man he's talking about or the colleague he's talking about is uh, Adrian Veidt, mm -hmm. Ozymandias, right? Because in the comics, he tried to use the intrinsic field subtractor to basically vaporize. eliminate, vaporize yeah. him, eliminate him. He calls it, you know, later in the episode, he calls it plan B, right? For blowing mm -hmm. him up, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, she asks why he went through all this trouble to create this Garden of Eden but then just leave it. Uh, he answers, so I can meet you. Uh, I feel like uh, Dr. Manhattan's got some lines. 
<laughs> like right yeah he's got some good uh good lines I mean, he just delivers it so stoically and so like straight that it's like is that a pickup line or is that just like for real he seems like <laughs> one of those pickup artists <laughs> where he like knows exactly what to say to get into like a girl's pants you know yeah but um, he's dr mahan so he's like he's just right. totally being totally honest about this right <laughs> like literally right, this right. Is the point where i meet you so that's why i'm here yeah but he's he's pretty smooth about it without yeah. being <laughs> too ridiculous right Uh, well his next smooth move is that right after this he professes his love for her right he says i love you uh she asks when did he fall in love with her so that's what i love about the dialogue is that angela is playing along and she gets the game right she mm -hmm. she's not like like wait what's going on i'm really confused she totally underststands like she picks up that he's experiencing different parts of his life at, at the same time so she's whether whether it's a trick or a gag or whatever she yeah, plays she, along without yeah. being too confused about it, I think. Yeah, exactly. yeah. She she totally understands what's going on. And she asks, mm-hmm. you know, okay, so then when did you fall in love with me? He answers, I was already in love with you. He says, even before you saw me. And I love this line. It's probably maybe my favorite line in this the episode. He says, uh, he does not experience the concept of before. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's just further hammers home. And I think it's just the best way to kind of encapsulate what what he's trying to talk about right so if he doesn't experience before he also probably doesn't experience after right doesn't Mm -hmm. understand the concept before or after so she says wait there's no moment then Mm -hmm. you know the moment that you realize oh shit you know i'm in love with this person Mm -hmm. because at this moment she's having the opposite feeling of that moment right she says she hates dr manhattan yeah he's a real dr manhattan Mm -hmm. because yeah she basically tells him like if you're all-knowing like you you should know that i don't like dr manhattan at this point because she says she doesn't like the fact that he's wearing the mask he does take the mask off she sees her face but again we don't this whole episode had really clever ways to kind of like hide what he a lot of it is just you know we see shoulder down right Mm -hmm. um or we see behind him so we never actually see his face during this whole bar encounter which i thought was really clever framing right uh, and then she says well doesn't dr manhattan glow and he doesn't want to glow because he uh he doesn't want to draw too much attention but he also wants to have a little bit of intrigue for the next date so yeah he's still using his lines yeah but she's still like stewing in her hate for dr manhattan yes. right because she says that dr manhattan is the reason or the catalyst that started the whole chain of events that got her parents killed right yes. He's the one yeah. that invaded Vietnam, um, won the war for the United States, incited all these revolutionaries. And one of those revolutionaries was that puppet master, the marionette guy. Uh, we saw the last episode, one of the terrorists that blows up uh, the town square where her parents were, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And then he reacts by saying, wait, your parents are dead? Or you're celebrating the the anniversary of your parents' death. And she's like, you already knew that. You know, so this is the moment where he learns it, right? This is the 20 minutes later mm-hmm. in their conversation where she tells him that she's celebrating the anniversary of their death. Right. He admits, yes, he was in Vietnam and he, he was trying to be what people wanted him to be. Uh-huh. So we've seen this in the comics, right, where he becomes more and more disillusioned with humanity as the as the comic moves along. Mm-hmm. So this is a part in his consciousness or in his life where he still believed that he was an American, right? That he, in a sense, still human and, and wanting to fight for America. You know, now he says he kind of regrets it 
at that time he was a soldier, he was a superhero, he was a savior, and he was just trying to do the right thing. And then she prods him a little bit more and says, well, if you knew you were going to regret it, why did you do it anyway? <laughs> he has that great line saying, well, haven't you done something that you regret? And the look on her face is basically like, oh, shit, yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Again, he asks her, will you have dinner with me? She says that, you know, if she were to go to dinner with him, that he would stick out like a sore thumb. Mm -hmm. And he says, well, why do you want to go to a restaurant? I could teleport you anywhere. But she says, you know, eventually we're going to have to go out in public and, you know, we're going to have to solve this problem. And he says, well, you're going to have a very elegant solution for it. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have that solution in about two weeks. So this is kind of a hint for the next scene that we're going to see. Right. Um, so Angela and Dr. Manhattan, they're at a morgue and they're mulling over options where they can be together without drawing attention, like you said. And Angela has two bodies on display, and they both have no next of kin. And she asks him to choose one as his new guys, um, so to say. So she says that they're pretty much invisible, perfect candidates. Uh, but they have a history, they have birth certificates, they have social security numbers that Dr. Manhattan can just easily assume. And Dr. Manhattan says that uh, she should be the one to choose since they're going to be together and that perhaps she hasn't presented him with all the other options. And I think it's interesting to note that Angela hesitates before bringing out Cal's body, right? Calvin Jelani. Mm -hmm. And also, I was definitely wrong last week when I assumed that Calvin Jelani was a complete fabrication and because he's a real person with a real identity, a real dead person, and his identity is the one that Dr. Manhattan assumes here, right? But it's interesting that she doesn't bring out the black man's body right away, even though that's the one she's like most attracted, attracted to, to. Yeah, I want to say. They're clearly like hanging a lampshade on Angela, knowing that he was a Jewish man, a white man, right? And that doing this would be a little bit weird, I want to say. So, like, here's here's the thing. I'm fully aware the show only has around an hour or so to tell each episode's story. But mm -hmm. I do wish that they delved a little bit more into Dr. Manhattan's identity politics here. For, for a show that's so focused on race and, like, the African-American experience, they don't really dig that deep into the fact that Osterman was a white Jewish man who turned into a superhuman and is now taking the guise of a black man, right? I mean, they're very respectful, like you say. I mean, sure, this scene had Angela hesitate to use Calvin Jelani's body, and it's like almost an awareness of how this was appropriation of some sort. And then later on, Adrian even calls John out on it. But they're really just talking about it, but they're not really going any deeper than that, right? I'm really curious to what the viewer response to this was, especially like the show's black audience i just wanted to ask our listeners if any of you guys have any takes on this we'd be really interested in discussing it whether you thought this was either insensitive or in like poor taste or if you thought it was really well executed we, we want to know yeah. um that'd be something interesting to see how other people viewed it i didn't think it was problematic i just thought it would be better if they went a little bit more about it, it just a tiny little 
quibble I have, I guess. I feel that, though, it's not keeping in with the character. of This is exactly how Dr. Manhattan would have acted, right? He would have just been a person to be like, I don't care. Like, it really doesn't matter. To right, because he's like, so removed from, like, the human condition, yeah. right? Um, but I don't know, like, maybe from another character's perspective. I don't think the narrative economy could have afforded this little diversion. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, it's fine. But um, yeah. for a show so focused on, on race, I mm-hmm. thought this episode kind of glossed over it but it's fine i don't see a huge issue with it but maybe but yeah, maybe would, other people yeah. do i don't know i want to see yeah i would be I interested what other in people people's opinions yeah definitely on this on this this topic yeah and so anyway john takes calvin's form and um like you said before this his face had always been obscured right mm-hmm. either by like a mask or a conveniently placed object i think in the morgue it's like one of those floating scales where they put like the the organs when they're doing the autopsies mm-hmm. it's like covering his face but now he's within cal's body and we see him for the first time in human form uh even still has this the little atomic symbol the superhero mm-hmm. symbol on his forehead which he which he like quickly erases it dissipates right here it cuts back to the bar and john tells her that she'll have an elegant solution to their predicament but that he can't tell her because then it wouldn't be her idea right? Mm-hmm. Angela still isn't convinced that they're going to have dinner the next night, but she says, you know, like you said a couple scenes ago, she says, fine, I'll play along. She keeps saying that, fine, I'll play along. Uh, I think she's just really curious, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think at this point, she's starting to believe a little that he's probably <laughs> the real Dr. Manhattan, right? Um, mm-hmm. She asks John how long they're together for, and John replies, 10 years. And when she asks how it ends, he says, <laughs> tragically, so John tries to prove that he can tell the future by pointing out a song on the jukebox that's about to play, saying that it's Angela's favorite song called uh, Tunnel of Love. <laughs> but when it comes on, Angela's like, holy shit. She pretends like she knows the song, but she's yeah. like, I've never heard of this song before in my life or whatever. <laughs> she's like laughing in his face, saying that he doesn't know shit about the future. <laughs> John replies, you might find this amusing now, but six months from now, it's the reason you're asking me to leave. He says that what they're doing is they're having sex and that it'll lead to an argument, right? Um, and then it cuts to them in the bedroom. And here it's reminiscent of all the relationships Dr. Manhattan has ever had, right? In the yep. comics and all that stuff. So he's like, little woman, and whoever it is, like, be it Jenny Slater, Lori Blake, now Angela, they're all frustrated that he can't be present when it's time to be intimate or have any intimacy of any sort, right? He's not yes. emotionally present because of the way he perceives time. Yeah, because she asked, like, where are you now? Yeah, where are you right now, right? Yeah. Um, and John says that he's experiencing the night they met and that he told her about this exact fight uh, that night, right? Um, and there's this pretty funny back and forth where John's like, we're in a fight, and Angela's like, no, we're not. We're in a yeah. fight. No, we're it's not. It's so hard to prevent. Yeah. yeah. But like, this is another chicken or the egg situation, right? We, which we'll see again later in the episode. Mm-hmm. Like, would this argument even take place if John never planted it in her mind or just never brought it up, right? Um, yeah. Well, the same uh, thing I could say about the song, right? Yeah. Because she doesn't love this song yet. But is it because then John told her that it's her favorite song? And then, of course, it's reminiscent of the night they met. So it's right. like, so, 
it's yeah. all these paradoxes. It's really mm-hmm. interesting to to watch. And Angela's extremely frustrated, and she's asking why they're even together now if they don't end up together, and it makes no sense, right? And John says that her being with him affords her a safety that she never felt in the orphanage uh, back in the past. And like mm-hmm. before today, his knowledge of the future was a comfort for Angela. And Angela asks him what he actually knows about fear, right? Like when was yeah. the last time he, he felt experienced it? the fear? Yeah. Right. And John replies that it was back in the intrinsic field chamber in 1959 when he, he left his watch in there and he was slowly vaporized and he was turned into Dr. Manhattan. And Angela says, if you know everything that's going to happen, there are no risks. She's taking all the risks and that she has no idea what he's doing. And here she uh, she's like, do you want me to say it? Right. So this is like the culmination of that fight that he was telling her about mm-hmm. that they didn't even have yet. Um, and and he says that he wants her to say it. So she tells him to leave. Right. Um, which goes back to the, the scene in the bar. Right. Him telling her about this. this six months from now. Yeah. Six months from now. You're going to be telling me to leave. Yeah. I wanted to get in a little bit about Yabia Abdul-Mateen. And I mm. think his excellent portrayal of. Oh, he's Man. so good in this episode. Yeah. He's fantastic. And it actually reminds me of. Do you remember like in the comics when Adrian talks about how he got to Dr. Manhattan by he basically could read the the small little facial tics that he had and knew that he was, even though he was becoming more and more quote unquote less human, he still had an emotional attachment to like people like Jenny Slater and Mm -hmm. and his old partner. And that's how he got to them, right. To get him to go to Mars. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that was hopefully like a big influence on Yaya's performance because I feel like he has these small things he does with his face or with his body that I think some great subtleties. Yeah. yeah. And I actually really love if we go back to the scene um, at the morgue, she notices the the symbol on his head and she says, Oh, you, you forgot your thing. Mm-hmm. And he just has that brilliant delivery of that line where he's like, I'm going to forget so much more. Mm-hmm. Like he seems almost sad about it. But we know that, you know, he's not supposed to be overly sad about, you know, it's not, you know, he's Dr. Manhattan, right? He's not a little emotionless at times. Right. Uh, so, like, I felt the delivery of that line was just so beautiful. And, like, his physical performance is fantastic, too. Like, mm-hmm. his posture, how he walks, how he carries himself, it's, I think it's very deliberate. And I think it's very difficult to do as an actor because it goes against every instinct you're ever taught about acting about like portraying emotions and things like that and mm-hmm. and i just thought he did a, a really fantastic job in this yeah. performance yeah. um makeup and stuff we'll talk about I, later i don't think so we'll talk about I, don't, I didn't think it was as good but um we'll, we'll talk about that later this episode has some issues with budget but we'll we'll, we'll get into that okay uh, so he teleports away from this scene and we see that he teleports somewhere where there's tons of snow and, and he starts walking and then he walks into this facility and anyone who's read the comics knows that this is Karnak. This is where the big moment happens at the end of the comic, the confrontation between the heroes and Ozymandias. This is basically uh, Adrian's 
bat cave, right? His fortress of solitude, if you were to right, call it. Right. And kind of walks through this facility. And I did not know that we were going to end up here. Like, I never thought we'd, we'd get to see Karnak. I, guess, I know, right? I imagined. Um, like, so here, I'm going to be honest. Uh, when he's walking through Karnak, it looks pretty bad. It doesn't look okay. that great. Okay. Um, it's obviously like green screen, right? When yeah, it's a lot of CG. It's like, yeah. Yeah, but like it's not very seamless. Like you can really mm-hmm. tell because it's so big. And I don't know. I just didn't think that the budget was up to mm-hmm. portraying the grandeur of Karnak, I don't think. It's a, it's a TV show, right? Yes. And yeah. it's nowhere near as popular as say like Game of Thrones was, you know? So they're definitely not going to have the budget to do all these Mm -hmm. elaborate sets and things like that. So you just have to take your lumps, I guess. And this is one of the areas that this episode, I think, suffered a little bit. And then uh, we see that Adrian's watching, I guess, Civilization on all of his TV screens. And some of the TV screens are out. And what we noticed about Karnak is that it doesn't look like he's picked up anything, right? Like he's left it the way it was since... That confrontation? I don't yeah. know if it's from the confrontation, but like it's clearly I mean that's uh, how I interpret in, it. In like, disarray. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> he turns around and we see that of course Dr. Manhattan is still naked. Buck ass naked. Buck ass naked. And mm. <laughs> he asks, like, oh, how did you know it was me? Adrian has that funny line, he's like, Well, you're the only person who has enough balls to just walk around in his birthday suit. Right. Mm-hmm. And Adrian's also very keen. He completely understands dr manhattan and how he perceives time so he right. says how long has it been since i guess we last saw each other uh-huh. and he says 24 years 41 days and 13 hours adrian cuts him off and says you don't need to explain to me right, right. and there's a lot of great lines here where it hints back to the comic right where he says mm-hmm. you know i'm disappointed in you and that's like basically that was the last thing he told in their confrontation and then we see Adrian tinkering with some items and we see this table, what looks like a, a giant ring. And then we see a bunch of those squid falling through it, right? So this is, again, alluding back to the video that we saw in LG's episode where, you know, he sees the video of Adrian saying like, oh, I'm going to be doing these fabricated alien incursions to keep right. up the, the guise of the uh, squid yeah. attacks. So this is it. We're seeing him do it, which begs the question then. If he has to do it himself, who does it later, right? When he gets trapped on Europa. Right, that's true. Or is it automated? But then it wouldn't show him doing it, right? Like, that's where I was a little confused. I don't, you don't really know what he's tinkering with. Yeah, know? maybe but it's... Who, maybe who knows? I have, I have no idea. That's a good point, though. Like, who's who's yeah. doing it if, it if it requires, like, a manual thing? Like, if he's... Mm-hmm trapped on Europa, then who's keeping up appearances, right? But who knows? And, this, <laughs> and then he does have that line you were kind of alluding before. He says it's not the 80s anymore. This kind of appropriation is quite problematic in 2009, uh-huh. right? <laughs> uh-huh. Although uh-huh. I'm not quite sure it would have been as inappropriate as it is in 2019. I think 2009 people were still turning a blind eye to, <laughs> to things like cultural yeah. appropriation right um yeah this is very much a 2018 2019 yeah type thing but that's not 
yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and then Adrian says, uh, a lot's changed while he was on Europa. And John asks, like, how did you know I was on Europa? And he has that really yeah. interesting line where he says, the little elephant told him. Right. So I'm guessing that's Lady True. A, Lady True, right? Allusion to Lady right. True. So even in 2009, they've been working together or they know of each other. Like, right. I'm curious now, what is their. Well, I mean, they're two scientific geniuses, right? So you would assume that they have some sort of contact together or some sort of maybe even business deal because Lady True does buy out Vite Industries when, when he disappears, goes, yeah, right? Disappears, yeah. yeah. I love the scene also because it really displays Adrian's intellect. Because mm-hmm. at times, the conversation, he's almost the head of Dr. Manhattan. Right. right. Oh, why is a blue man masquerading as a human? Right. And mm-hmm. he guesses that it's for a woman. Right. He knows mm-hmm. exactly that it's for a woman. And then, you know, John says, yeah, it's Angela. Yeah. Right? Her name is Angela. Yeah. yeah. He then now postulates that he doesn't just want to look like a human. He wants to become one. And then Adrian asks, you know, why he can't uh, do it himself. And John says, you tell me. Basically, because John knows the answer already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, because he he knows. Yeah, he knows all the answers, right? Yeah. yeah. And then Adrian says, "Well, it's because you have a profound lack of imagination." And this is where we get that line earlier, right? Where he chuckles at. Yeah, Angela. Angela says, "You have quite an imagination." And Doctor Manhattan says, "Well, someone else is going to tell me that I have a profound lack of imagination." Mm-hmm. And this is this is that moment. So it's always cutting back and forth between these mm-hmm. little uh, references. And it's it's a great use of a, of a framing device, I think. Yeah. And then Adrian wants to know if he has a brain, right? And if he has uh, organs. Because if he has all these kind of essential things that he thinks he can short circuit John's memory, right? By inserting something into his prefrontal cortex. And he says that. If you're not aware of your abilities, then you don't know how to use them. You don't know to use them. But in cases of emergency, you'll come out, right? Mm-hmm. And at this point, I was like, okay, this is, I'm pretty sure he's alluding to the, the White Knight attack. And it's, uh, it's funny, I had a, a Twitter conversation with Ahmad. This was what we were talking about. I was like, oh, what if Dr. Manhattan was in Cal, so he was the one who saved Angela, right? Because we didn't see... What happened to Angela? And this is pretty much confirmed in this episode, right? Yeah, and then we'll see it later, but it's basically Mm -hmm. confirmed. Adrian says intrinsic field subtractor was just plan B, right? B for blowing him up. And he grabs this ring box, right? And he says, this is plan A. A for amnesia. He asked John, like, can you see what's inside? And this is, again, the small little subtleties. It looks like John's excited. Right? right, that he doesn't know what's in the actual box. He opens the box, and it's basically the ring that we saw from last episode, right? The one that Angela hits Cal in the head and digs out of his skull, right? It's the the ring with the floating object in the middle that looked like the atom symbol in his head. Adrian basically says, uh, if if you have any business before you stick this thing in your head, you better go handle it now. And he mentioned Angela does have a, a grandfather that she's not aware of, and that you know they're going to need to discuss something. Mm-hmm. And but before Adrian gives him this object, he says that he wants something from him. And this again alludes back to the comic, right? In in the comic, I think the last thing that John says to him is that 
nothing ever ends. And Adrian basically wants to know, does my plan work? Will I ever see this utopia that I want? But John says like, yes, but you're not going to see it here. Adrian doesn't understand. He explains to him like, you know, I created paradise on Europa and there's these people on it that I've created. They're perfect beings that just want to serve. And Adrian says, sounds like paradise, which is a tie back to an earlier episode, right? Where he says, like, at first he thought this was paradise, but he realized it's just a prison. Right. So this wasn't really a reveal, right? Where it's revealed that this was Adrian's own doing. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. It's not like then and during that episode, we surmised that because he said it was paradise that he did this to himself and it may not have been punishment because the first couple of episodes we thought he was in prison because there was like a warden and all that stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, but now we know that it is his own doing. And also this goes to show what happened to Adrian after the squid plan, right? It succeeded. Everything fell apart because he couldn't foresee that all of the things that he had planned for the new utopia he was going to implement on Earth relied on Dr. Manhattan technology, mm-hmm. right? And because he framed him for causing cancer, it made people afraid of all the technology that he was going to use to make the world a better place. So he kind of faded into obscurity. And this is why he's so upset and he wants to leave Earth, I guess, to this mm-hmm. utopia that John's created on Europa, right? Because he had this whole plan and it didn't work out. He also saved the world and then no one even knew he was the one to do it, right? Mm-hmm. So so yeah, the scene ends with John basically teleporting him right to Europa. And then we get that really cool scene where he kind of catches the ring that's falling in midair and then he sees it in his hand and then we get that really cool match cut, right? Right, right. Yeah, so it cuts to Angela and John and they're in front of an open door with like this beautiful sunset in the background, right? And this is where Angela puts Vite's quote-unquote plan A device in John's head. Also, another interesting thing to note is that John and Ozymandias, they speak to each other like they're friends, and they didn't try to kill each other, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, But I think this just goes to show how logical Adrian Vite is, you know? he tries to kill Dr. Manhattan. It fails, but his plan succeeds anyway. So I guess anyone else would hold a grudge, but he's like this logical, scientific, super genius, right? So he's just like, I'm assuming he's just like, let bygones be bygones. It's over. My plan succeeded, you know, and there's nothing that Dr. Manhattan or anyone else can do about it. So I guess they're just moving on and putting it behind them, right? Yeah, so it cuts to Angela and John in front of Open Door with this uh, beautiful sunset in the background. And this is where Angela puts Vite's quote-unquote plan A device in John's head. <laughs> it makes it sound like birth control. <laughs> <laughs> but John says that he's going to make himself intangible and that she should put it right in the middle of his forehead. And neither of them are certain that it's going to work, right? And John says that's what makes it a risk. This is where they come up with the cover story of the accident. Angela proposes that they move to Tulsa, where her family's from. And it transitions back to the bar on the night that they meet for the first time, right? Angela wants more proof of John's, I guess, omnipotence, right? 
she asked John to create some life right in front of her at the bar. And John materializes this egg out of his hand. And Angela's still not impressed, right? She says yeah. a chicken would be better. <laughs> yeah. Um, she grills him some more about their supposed 10-year future together, right? And asks him if they have any kids. Uh, John says, yes, they have three kids. And Angela says that now she knows he's full of shit because she never wants to have kids. Mm -hmm. She never wanted to. And this is where John tells her that they're adopted. And she also jokingly asks if their kids are half gods. And I think this is actually a pretty important line in the episode where John says that he would never pass down his powers without somebody's consent, which basically confirms that it is possible to transfer his powers to another person. Mm-hmm. So obviously this is what Joe Keen and the 7K Cyclops clan are trying to do and put the powers in Senator Keen, right? But mm-hmm. I have a feeling that he is not going to be the end recipient of <laughs> Dr. Manhattan's powers. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, it's going to be Loop Man. I know for a fact. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be Agent Dale Petey as Loop Man. <laughs> right. Yes, the um, all-omnipotent lube man. <laughs> yeah, the omnipotent lube man. <laughs> so, all kidding aside, John says the exact words are, I suppose I could transfer my atomic components into some sort of organic material. So if someone were to consume it, they would inherit my power. Doing with the waffles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. But he never finishes those waffles. Oh, yeah, you're right. So, right? <laughs> Angela asks more about their future kids, but John says that, there's a period of time he can't see. And he says he tries to look, there's only darkness. I was very curious about this. What do you think this... Well, obviously, it means that after he puts the device in his head, his powers can't access that time period because he doesn't have those powers while the device is in him. I thought that too. But then he still says that he knows about the kids. He knows that they're adopted. Like, he doesn't learn any of that later when we see those scenes right he has no time to learn that those three kids were adopted so how does he know so like i thought it was some kind of hint that but in the next bit angela's like oh it sounds a lot like a tunnel a tunnel of love right where he he only knows before and then after right so we don't know what happens after this episode yet so it could be that he knows uh the existence of these kids from from after as well right so like, he's purposely know. saying, like, oh, it's going to end in tragedy, I'm going to die. But he also knows that he's going to live after it, and he just doesn't want to tell her. He's kind of a dick. <laughs> he's kind of a dick. <laughs> so, yeah, Angela says, sounds like a lot, like a tunnel, right? A tunnel of love, mm-hmm. which kind of shows that the song that she's never heard of is kind of growing on her, maybe. So Yeah. And then it cuts forward again to Angela implanting the device, right? Angela yeah. asks John how he feels about not knowing how things will end up. Uh, now that he's decided to become human, and all he says is, I leave it entirely in your hands, which is a clear callback to the final line of the graphic novel, right? Which says this exact line about the new Frontiersman employee that has Rorschach's journal, I leave it entirely in your hands, right? Mm -hmm. So now there's this neat little reverse proposal, I guess you could call it that, and John gets on one knee, and Angela puts the device, which is shaped kind of like a ring in his head. It's just a physical version of the symbol on his head, right? Um, 
Yeah. He says the line about he doesn't know that it'll work. It's what makes it a risk. Alluding to the scene earlier, right, where they have the fight and like Angela's big point is that you don't take any risks. Yeah, yeah, she he doesn't take any risks and that she's taking a risk, right, because she doesn't know everything and that she's taking a risk on this relationship. So I thought that was a really like um, she's the only one in the dark. Yeah. Yeah. So I I thought that was a really tender moment when he says like you know this is my risk, this is the risk I'm taking for our relationship. Again, man, really well written episode. So we move back to 2019 right so this is where we left off last episode yeah where angela's like hey baby we're in fucking trouble right yep he wakes up and he's just kind of like floating there and so this is kind of another allusion to the comics when he comes back uh as dr manhattan after chasing field generator he's just like floating there in the middle of like a cafeteria and so it's kind of the same thing right he's awakened again he's just like floating there and um, mm-hmm. she's trying to tell him, like, hey, there's people here. There's people here to attack us. We got to do something. And then he notices the damage on the clock. Mm-hmm. So he asks, like, why is this clock damaged? And this is also triggering something in Angela. She's like, wait, do you remember this? Do you remember what happened here? Uh, and then we get the reveal that during the White Knight attack, Angela is shot and she's dead to rights. This guy has a shotgun pointed at Angela. And she says that there were two of them. And one was about to shoot me and you zapped him away. Mm-hmm. So what that tells me is that this gentleman is not dead. Yeah. She doesn't say he kills him. Yeah. Right? And we see later, like, yeah, he can teleport people anywhere. Well, no, he could blow people up. Yeah. Right? He could blow yeah. heads off if he wanted yeah. to, but she specifically says you zapped him away. So this also was part of my conversation with the bod where I was telling him that I think that the seven K members know that he's Dr. Manhattan because one of them lived during the white Knight attack to basically tell the others, this person is Dr. Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And my suspicion is that that person under the seventh K mask is Senator Joe Keen. That was zapped away. You think? Uh, I don't think so. Cause well, if you want to take what he says on face value as the truth, right? He said that he took over the 7K after the White Knight attack. Again, oh, he's you're a, right, you're right. You're he's right, a racist right. piece of shit, so you really can't trust him. No, but he does, yeah, but he does tell He Elder, does say that yeah. he took over after the White Knight attack. So I don't believe that it's uh, Joe Keen. And so, like, I was thinking, like, Okay, so why didn't he just zap him away? Why didn't he just vaporize him, right? Yeah. But I think it goes to show that what Adrian Veidt says, and it flashes back to what he says in Karnak to John, right? Mm-hmm. That you might be able to use your powers if you're in, in case danger, of emergency. In yeah, case yeah. of emergency. So, like, I'm assuming this is like a flight or fight response where he doesn't have full control of what he does. He just does something, right? And mm-hmm. it just happened to not kill him and it sent him somewhere else, right? So okay. I think that could be the explanation why he didn't just vaporize him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think just for me, I would want it to relate to somebody that's part of our story rather than it's just like some random 7K member that we've never met, right? Yeah, it doesn't bother me that much, but you make a good point, I think. Yeah, we'll see. We'll uh, see. I'm guessing they'll answer who that is right yeah maybe yeah so yeah you're right it flashes to that scene with adrian so that we get that clear understanding that this is exactly what adrian was talking about and he has that cool exchange where he it's almost like he's talking to adrian but not really talking to adrian Mm -hmm. 
Um, right, right. And then he says, because of the removal of the device, he's very confused and he excuses himself and just teleports away. And we hear his kids screaming, right, for mommy and daddy. And Angela's like, fuck, man. And uh-huh. she runs upstairs and they're screaming because they see this blue man that's just walking on water in, yeah, in their pool. Angela, Angela gets some good. Uh fucks and motherfuckers yeah, yeah. this episode. Yeah. Those are always great. Yeah. And then uh, Topher's the one who notices, like, well, that looks like Cal. Yeah. And she doesn't lie. She says, yeah, that is that is him. Yeah, even, like, in this moment, I think it's nice that the writers and, like, the script doesn't forget that this is how Angela talks to Topher, right? She doesn't bullshit him. Yeah, but that's um, how she talks to Topher, but I was a little surprised that she revealed it even in front of the girls because i feel like she's more cautious yeah she has that that special relationship with topher i think yeah um but yeah that's true but but they look down and he kind of waves and then they disappear right they get transported Uh and she's like motherfucker (laughs) yeah (laughs) so yeah we get another great motherfucker and she Uh goes down to the pool and there's this interesting line that he says that i need you to see that I'm on the pool. So here's another thing I wanted to point out where I kind of had a gripe with Mm -hmm. Um, this Dr. Manhattan makeup doesn't look that great. I don't think. Yeah. I think it's primarily the bald cap. Like I was saying earlier offline, I really, really hate bald caps. They make people look absolutely ridiculous. Uh, it makes them look like they have a giant head. People are saying that he looks like handsome Squidward. You know the SpongeBob <laughs> meme, which he kind of does a little bit. It's only appropriate because it's he, it's Squid, right? Squidward. Right. right. <laughs> Good point. But I don't understand why they put a bald cap on him because it's not like Yaya Abdul Mateen has a lot of hair when he's playing. Cal, right? Like, yeah. just paint him blue and then smooth over the top of his head with CGI, like smooth over the stubble. So I don't know why you're putting this gigantic bald cap on him, which yeah. makes his head look way bigger than it way, actually should Pretty be. big, yes. Pretty big. And, and I think another thing that bothers me is that they kept his eyebrows. I understand you don't want to shave your eyebrows out as, as an actor, but because you can see like he's completely blue, but then he has the the eyebrows that mm-hmm. Yaya Abdul-Mateen has, right? It's it's a little distracting. But again, uh, I understand there's a TV show, there's a budget. I don't really let it bother me that much. It's just that mm-hmm. I kind of point out that it doesn't look that great, and then I kind of forget about it. Right? Well, it's like when people uh, kind of like notice terrible wigs, right? On yeah, on actors too. Yeah, like it sometimes it just it just takes you out of a scene or it takes you out of the episode. So I totally understand. Right. It was weird. He did look really weird. Did you watch the... Oh, you never watched Breaking Bad, right? No. Okay. So Blasphemous, like in, I know. In, uh, <laughs> in, in the Breaking Bad movie that just came out, like, Brian Cranston had a bald cap on, too. I mean, I understand that a little bit more because he has a full head of hair and, like, he's reprising a role. And mm-hmm. But still, that looked bad, too. It's just that bald caps never look good. So that's my, that's my take. Lessons learned, from, Hollywood. Yeah. No bald So cap. any production designers out there or makeup artists don't use ball caps they look terrible if we can uh-huh. make samuel jackson look like he's 40 again 
We can, yeah, we can just exactly. CG to make people bald. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Where's the technology for that? Come on. Well, you know, if you have to use a bald cap, use CG to push the head down a little bit, right? <laughs> right, like, yeah. Just, like, really, fix the shape of his head a little bit. It's yeah. not that bad. It's not that hard, I don't think. Yeah. All right, I don't want to... Yeah, yeah, let's let's get off of this. So he, yeah. he uh, John says that uh, he sent the kids to be with her, her grandfather, and uh-huh. uh, and they're at the Dreamland Theater in Tulsa, in downtown Tulsa. And she's like, you know, when the hell did you talk to my grandfather? And then we, uh-huh. we get like, a flashback, right? And this is uh, earlier. Adrian was talking about like, well, if you have some unfinished business to attend, that you should do it. And he he did allude that he needed to talk to will and and this is Uh the scene right we're back in we're in new york and he says that you know we're i'm at the mansion of that was once owned by nelson gardner captain metropolis but that he's you know since died and passed on his properties to an acquaintance and this is what we learned from the pdpedia files right we we mentioned already that nelson gardner's uh, will and testament that he's left pretty much everything to to will uh so we do see uh will reeves like you know answers the door and he introduces himself as, as John Osterman, but he might better know him as Dr. Manhattan. And, and Will he just slams, the door slams in right into his face. And then the really cool thing is he just kind of phases through the door and phases through another door. <laughs> and he just kind of ends up in his, his living room and he like pulls the couch with his mind. So I was like, he's like, oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Let's talk. <laughs> and, and, and Will asks if, uh, you know, he's, he's supposed to be blue. And John says, you know, I made arrangements about that. And but in, you know, he also needs to make, you know, some arrangements with the will, basically. John's ability to influence the future is limited. And to ensure the most optimal outcome, he wants to form an alliance with Will. Because he knows that he's hooded justice and he knows that he's, um, you know, Angela's grandfather. And this is, I guess, the first that Will is also learning about. Angela, Angela right. that you know she is his granddaughter yeah she, he doesn't even know that he has a granddaughter goes back to that paradox of chicken and egg right right there's, there's a lot of these in this episode like he didn't know about her but then now because John experiences the future he tells her about you know it's the, the paradox again right and then we kind of cut to Angela saying wait you're talking to him right now and then you know Will's like wait you're talking to her right now and he answers to both of them, you know, relatively, yes. And then Angela, again, very smart, very kind of keen on his abilities. Mm-hmm. Just like basically asks John in 2019 to ask Will in 2009 if he knew about Judd Crawford and his association with Cyclops. Mm-hmm. And then also about the clan robe in his closet. And Will answers who's Judd Crawford. Yeah, so this is the first time that Dr. Manhattan's ever used his powers like this, where he's yes. relaying information back and forth between present and future, right? As a sort of time travel. This is super interesting to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes so much sense that he could do this, but we I don't think we've, you know, we've never seen this in the comics. So this is almost like a new power into itself. It's kind of a new power, but like, it's not really, right? Because yeah. because he's always telling Angela about stuff in the future, even though he's not making specifics. So like this, there, it goes that one way. Why can't it go the other way? Yeah. Right? So um, yeah. I found it's the, not really a new power, but it's definitely 
a new use that of his abilities uh, of his yeah. ability right um, yeah so i i found this really interesting just because i was like man this is something that alan moore didn't think about but you know i guess the writer's room for this watchman did and it's like it makes right. it makes it makes total sense to me that he could be he should be able to do this so this is an example of a bootstrap paradox which is okay. a paradox that occurs in like time travel fiction and stuff mm-hmm. so it's like a piece of information or like an object that's sent back in time and it becomes trapped within like an infinite cause and effect loop in which you don't know where that item or piece of information comes from. Mm-hmm. So it's like something that creates itself, right? So, okay, so a good example of this is in Lost, John Locke's pocket watch. Okay. If you, if you remember, because Richard, we're getting into a whole different show now, but like Richard Alpert gives John Locke a pocket watch when he's a kid. Mm-hmm. But then like in the future, John Locke gives that pocket watch to Richard to give to him when he's a child right so is this the same thing as also like the terminator right how what do you mean like the... like john tells kyle to go back to save right exactly brother, right, but, and then right, kyle right. basically is his father too though right like which right. one came it's, first it's similar to that yeah okay but okay i understand and then this is yeah. why he he says like oh which came first the chicken or the egg and he's realizing yeah. well both at the same time also, this whole scene, they kind of explain why John looks like Calvin, but blue, right? I think Angela's like, oh, you still look like Cal. I think they just chalk it up to him still being confused when he wakes up. But they don't really talk that much about it. Yeah. I don't think they want to go in too deep into it, so you don't yeah, have to like, they don't. Yeah, yeah, pick, yeah, so. pick at it too much. And then <laughs> the scene ends because he has this funny line where he's like, uh, I'm hungry. And then he just teleports away. Yeah. <laughs> Which I was like, Dr. Manhattan gets hungry? Yeah. And Angela runs into the kitchen. And now John's like floating all these kitchen supplies around, right? And he's he says he's making waffles. And he's like, watch the eggs. And the eggs are coming out of the fridge and like floating. And then Angela's like, we don't have time for this shit. And she like, she like grabs the eggs and like smashes them all on the ground. <laughs> And it's because the cavalry knows who he is and they're coming for him. And she says it's up to them to stop them. Uh, but John says it doesn't matter. They, they're already here. And Angela's shocked. Like, what? They're already here? And all John can say is that it's impossible to stop them. But Angela doesn't care. She suits up in her sister knight outfit. She doesn't put her mask on or anything. But she goes out against the cavalry members head on with, like, silenced pistol right and before she heads out john tells her that <laughs> this is the moment he falls in love with her yeah and, so and romantic. Just kind of like <laughs> rolls her eyes she's like wow that's romantic <laughs> after all this time this is the moment you fall in love with her john says like oh well i've always loved you like before when he said in the bar right and so she goes out guns blazing oh sorry before we go before we go out into the final battle I found it interesting that upstairs she has this cool contraption where she like just hits her headboard and pulls out a shotgun and she has yeah. like guns hidden everywhere. But these ones, she's like has to take the time to open up in a safe. Yeah. I was like, wait, where's the cool contraption where you just pull a gun out real quick? <laughs> like, <laughs> I did want to see that again. Yeah. Like, I guess maybe these are like 
special guns or like because they, they were definitely they had silencers and yeah yeah and, and stuff so maybe that's where like she she hides these ones in, in the safe but i was yeah. just like wait this doesn't make sense to me where's your cool little hidden yeah where's your like areas. yeah yeah you, you punch a wall sure. or something and just all these guns pop out or something <laughs> <laughs> yeah so she runs out and i think she's a little too efficient in dispatching these seven k members she kills like a ton of these dudes she's like john this john i was gonna Wicked, say yeah this is the john wick syndrome now right you have to shoot people in the head now just only needs one bullet to kill one person because she's yeah. so efficient in this scene. So she's like mowing down these 7K members with like the silence pistol and then a bunch more cars pull up with more 7K members and there's a guy with like an assault rifle in the back and she kills that guy and she crawls through the back of the pickup truck. She kills that gun. she kills that guy when that car is moving too. Like yeah, when like, it's that's moving. impressive. <laughs> yeah, and she crawls through the back through the window and she's driving using like the dead body of the driver as a shield <laughs> there's some crazy action yeah i didn't quite understand so did the car run out of power is that why she didn't make it or were they just shooting at the car and it they just... were just shooting at the car so this is some really interesting world building here because it doesn't sound like a gas car it's like an electric car so oh, yeah mm-hmm. when it dies when it winds down you know so they kept that consistent which is pretty great and then they attach this thing to the door of the car and it like pulls the door off the off the hinges, right? And this guy's about to shoot her when uh he's vaporized by John. Um and his hand is like is just like the position that he has it in when he's like vaporizing people in the comic too. So they yeah. did a really good job like imitating mm-hmm. that pose, right? And he's sufficient. He doesn't blow up their whole body. He's just like yeah, John's like going ham on these guys. He's like <laughs> blowing up the, all their heads. He's just blowing up all their heads. Have you ever seen a uh, Kingsman? Oh yeah, <laughs> where everyone's heads explodes. It's kind of like that. Yep. He's just going down the line and like vaporizing all these seven K members' heads um, into like a bloody mist. And he's got his Neo moment where he's like stopping bullets. Yeah, he's like stopping bullets <laughs> in midair, and like they're all just floating in front of his yeah. hand or whatever. It's pretty cool. And then. There's this one truck with this giant, I don't know what it is, like a tachyon cannon. Yeah, which they is call it a tachyon. Like, yeah, which is supposed to capture Dr. Manhattan. And Angela shoots the guy that's manning it. And she's like, oh, we won. And Dr. Manhattan, John, he says, I'm sorry, but no, or, or whatever, something like yeah. that. And the guy behind the cannon is still alive. And John says, I'm sorry. And they capture. Yeah, he gets sucked into the yeah. cannon, I guess. Mm-hmm. I think some people misunderstood and thought he was killed, but that's definitely not true. Because no, the whole purpose yeah. of that thing is to capture him, right? And to in, bring in him the, to Senator Keen. In Earlier in the scene, he says that they brought a tachyon cannon that will involuntarily teleport him. Yeah. So it's it's not like a cannon to shoot him to kill him. It's, it's yeah, just to get him yeah. from one location to another. So when I first saw the scene... I was a little frustrated with this. Oh, like, okay. This is the easiest thing to avoid, especially with like your omniscience, right? Mm-hmm. Like he could have done like a billion different things where he vaporizes all the cars. He like makes sure the guy behind the cannon is dead. He like teleports yeah. out of the way. He like knows all these things are coming, but he doesn't do jack shit to stop it. So I was like, mm-hmm. This whole thing could be avoided. Why does he not do anything? 
right? This is where you get the meme of uh, Stephen Strange holding up the one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in, 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 uh, in Endgame. But his powers <laughs> don't work that way. He doesn't... No. Probabilities or possibilities, right? Yeah, yeah, I know. So that's where I was a little frustrated. But but the more I think about it, the more it kind of makes sense. So mm-hmm. I want to ask you a question. Okay. Does Dr. Manhattan have free will? Oh, yeah. See, that's the question. That's right? the question, right? Does he have free will? Is he able to make decisions of his like own volition, right? Because he's experiencing everything altogether at once simultaneously. So is everything preordained, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, I guess if you were to ask me, it would be no, right? Because he has right. he's stuck in this sequence, right? Like he has to live his life the way he's seen it. Right. So I think the deal with Dr. Manhattan is that he does have free will, uh-huh. but he doesn't think he does. So like if you go into the graphic novel, there are a lot of exchanges between him and Laurie where they're talking about his perception of time on Mars and things like that. And there's this one passage where he asks Laurie, why does my perception of time distress you or whatever? And he also says, everything is preordained, even my responses. And we're all puppets, Laurie. I'm just a puppet who can see the strings. So I don't think he believes that he has free will. Mm-hmm. And like, you can see this throughout the entire episode, yeah. right? Like he tells Angela about the fight that they're going to have. And in the future, all he has to do is not say anything. And that fight will never occur. Right. Yeah. But he never does that. He doesn't change the facts that they have that argument. Yeah. And like the whole thing with will and all that information, all he has to do is not say anything. And it would set that whole chain of events in motion right but he chooses i mean i mean i guess he chooses not to choose he just lets he's like a passive participant i guess yeah. he's just doing what other people tell him to do he doesn't really Again, make decisions yeah. on his own right so i don't know i think what's what's happening here is that he just doesn't care that this is happening to him mm-hmm. i don't know it's interesting i think yes it's infuriating. <laughs> it's infuriating. <laughs> to think about it sometimes. Yeah, it's just because I see your point. He should be able to change his own future, but he chooses. I guess that's his he choice to not, not to. to. Yeah, so that's really interesting. This is the, the end of the main episode, but unlike every other episode that we've had this season, there is a after credit scene. Yeah. Well, before the after credits scene, it, it flashes one last time. Oh, you're right. Bar, you're right. Right. You're right. I mean, it's not a huge scene. It's just a nice little coda at the end of the episode where she finally agrees to have dinner with him. Right. And mm-hmm. she's just like, fuck it. Let's try to do this or whatever, yeah. you know? And that's where the episode ends into the, the credits. But yeah, like you're saying, this one has a post credit scene. Yes. So the, the scene actually kind of starts over the credits right like the credits are almost at the end and we yeah, see yeah. we hear the voices of mr phillips and, and crookshanks alternating kind of asking will you stay master and adrian white says no and then we hear this kind of like squishing sound yeah or squishing noise and then we find out you know they actually we see the scene and he it looks like he's kind of being uh 
almost like crucified, right? And he he's he's there. He looks like, kind of like on a torture rack. He's like yeah, tied up. Yeah, and then uh, you know we see Mister Phillips and, and Crookshank come up, and they're like, "Will you stay, Master?" And he says no. And then we yeah, see it. Right? Yeah, we see over. them like yeah, have a tomato in their hand and and basically like squishing it over the over his head or over his face. So uh, I guess this is some kind of torture or punishment. I guess uh, after the trial. And then when the scene moves into, I guess, where Adrian's being held, right, in, in his cell, mm-hmm. and we see the game warning comes in, and we get the return of the anniversary cake. And he says, yeah, uh, he has that great line, he's like, if you start singing, uh, he's a jolly good fellow, I'm going to vomit all over your boots. <laughs> and the game warning says, like, oh, this was, you know, Phillips and Crookshank's idea mm-hmm. to make you this cake. So... This is interesting. Does everyone calls him the game warden, right? Mm-hmm. And does he not think he's one of them, right? Even though he is basically another Mr. Phillips. Yeah, I think there's some sort of differentiation there. I'm not sure yeah. if he's actually aware of it. I'm not, I don't know. But it seems like there is some sort of separation between him and the other yeah. Mr. Phillips, right? Yeah. And then we, we learn a little bit more about this the game warden in a second mm-hmm. uh the game warden says you know if you didn't know any better that adrian wanted to suffer and adrian asks, do you know mm-hmm. better almost prodding it like are you you know different are you better than the the, the rest of them right mm-hmm. and then uh, the game warden asks if he wants another book adrian says no that he likes the one that he has because it's about mm-hmm. loneliness and that the game warden wouldn't understand and the the game warden, you know, at this point becomes a little angry. And he says, you know, he understands loneliness. And <laughs> and Adrian has that great line. It was like, well, is it because your your big blue daddy left you to get a pack of cigarettes and never came back? Mm-hmm. And then this is where we learned that this game warden was the first Mr. Phillips, right? That he mm-hmm. says he is the one that, you know, saw the creation of Utopia. That he was the one, you know, that was pulled from the water. You know, the the baby right. fetuses that we saw at the beginning of the episode. So this goes back to, I guess, our speculation from last week or two mm-hmm. weeks ago. Uh, I can't remember when we said it. That this seems like the game warden is definitely... Or my assumption was that the game warden is one of... One of or if not the oldest Mr. Phillips still alive. Mm-hmm. And basically this kind of confirms it, right? Because he's basically all intents and purposes, he's Adam, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And uh the game warden asks, you know, why is heaven not enough? And Adrian basically says, This is not my home, right? My home mm-hmm. is three hundred and ninety million miles away. And that he has, you know, eight billion children right. are desperate for him to return. Yeah. So this goes into why Adrian's so dissatisfied with this supposed utopia, right? Because, like, mm-hmm. this blind worship isn't really what he wanted, which is kind of ironic because it's, they're not really blindly worshiping anymore. <laughs> but there's, I feel like he feels like there's no challenge here and that he's trapped away from his real destiny, which is still on Earth. Well, then it, it goes back to the scene earlier where he has with John, right, where he it almost seems like he wanted some kind of satisfaction or recognition for what he did to save the world. Right. Right. 
and then and like, this is not fulfilling or the idea that people praise him and serve him is not fulfilling maybe the lesson he learned is that he doesn't care about that maybe he still wants to go back and quote unquote save the world right right what in whatever that means and then um the game warner says you know enjoy your fucking cake uh-huh. So he gets a good uh, use of the word fucking in this one. Uh-huh. <laughs> and we notice that there are seven candles on the cake. Yeah. So that's a little confusing to me then. Right? Because we know that he gets transported in 2009, that these are anniversary cakes. So it's every year. So if there's seven uh-huh. candles, that means it's only been seven years. That would make it 2016. Right. But we know this show takes place in 2019. So there's three more years. Yeah. Like what? To go. Well, I don't know if there's three more years ago because there's only one episode left. And then right. they reveal that inside the cake, there's a, a, a horseshoe. horseshoe, right? So, yeah. and he, it looks like he's using that horseshoe to dig his way out of the, the cell. If he's digging out with that horseshoe, maybe it's taken three <laughs> it takes years. Three right? years, yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe he'll have so, a line next episode. It's like it's taken me three years, but I've gotten yeah, out finally. Some real uh, Shaw- Shawshank Redemption yep. shit, you know. Um, and this, and then I, I don't know if this is supposed to allude back to the very first episode, right? Where right, where uh, Mr. Phillips hands him a horseshoe. Shoot. And he said, yeah, and he says, oh, not yet. This is for later. Yeah. Or something to that. So that might be a part of his plan all along to smuggle that horseshoe in, knowing that he'd be in prison. I don't know. Yeah, like, how does he know that? Yeah, Uh, I don't know. There's some Dr. Manhattan shit going right here. Yeah. (laughs) He he can see all futures, too. Yeah. But yeah, he yeah, like he said, he pulls the horseshoe out and he starts carving his way out. And that's uh, that's That's the end of our episode. The post credit scene, yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's only one episode left. But yes. I don't think there are that many loose ends left. No. Right? I would think, like, oh, my God, there's so many loose ends to be tied up. And I feel like a Damon Lindelof show usually has all these dangling plot points that aren't resolved. But they've buttoned this up pretty well. Pretty well, the only, yeah. The only thing left is... What's Lady True's deal? What's going on with the Millennium Clock? What fell out of the sky? What fell out of the sky? And then we, we got a little bit more mysteries this, this episode, right? Him mentioning like, oh, you're going to need to see me on the water. Right. I can transfer my powers. So like, we'll see if that happens. Right. Um, and also, where's, where's Looking Glass? Uh, where's where's Looking Glass? Right. We talked about Looking Glass like last week, I speculated either he's going to be helping out in the fight or he's going to let Lori go. And I, I'm guessing now, most likely, he's going to maybe be the one that helps Lori out. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm assuming Dr. Manhattan's going to be there too now because oh, they yeah. probably teleported him to that cage. I mean, she's going to learn that Cal was, I guess, Dr. Manhattan the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, and why she was so attracted to him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And also, uh, this week's PDpedia files teasing oh, yes. uh, Dale Petey as Lube Man, right? I guess that theory has got some weight to it now. Yes. Uh, this week's PDpedia files are all about that fictional book, Fog Dancing, right? Mm-hmm. Which is by the author that was kidnapped by Adrian Veidt and forced to work on the, the squid. 
and then murdered after the fact. Yeah, I mean, he disappeared, so I'm assuming that he killed him. <laughs> yeah. So the big reveal in the PDP files about fog dancing is it turns out that fog dancers were a group of U.S. Black Ops Special Forces. And, like, in the book, they worked to clean up, like, the various war crimes in Vietnam and worked alongside, like, Dr. Manhattan and the comedian and all those government agents, right? Mm -hmm. And they had these special suits that came with <laughs> this special lube called SPF 666, <laughs> which the fog dancers would coat their suits in to prevent them from burning, I think. Mm -hmm. This is like the origin of Lube Man. And it seems like, uh, according to like all these descriptions from Dale Peaty, he's pretty obsessed with the fog dancers because he even submitted this thing to a magazine which was pretty em embarrassing because i think they ranked his submission of whatever it was in, like last place i think uh, <laughs> of all the entries so yeah it's like a like, contest right yeah he's obsessed with like the costume and all that stuff so it really seems like lube man is is pd here <laughs> so maybe pd's the one that saves lori yeah maybe maybe but I, I think it's fully possible that the final episode answers all the questions that we have. It's not that many. Yeah, it isn't. And I think uh, we're going to definitely tie up, tie up a lot of these loose ends. Yeah. There's only an hour left. Only, only an hour left. Yeah. I really, really hope they announce another season. Well, they said season finale. Right? Yeah, they, they don't call it a series finale. finale. So that's, that's a good thing. But it does seem like this is the type of show where it would have... Like, a year and a half or two years in between seasons, kind of like Westworld, right? Because there's so much that goes into yeah. a show like this. Especially right? if he hasn't announced it, that means he maybe he's not even thinking about developing it right now and he would need time to... Yeah. Because I would want to give him the time to develop something that's worth you know, putting... Yeah, to do it right. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. So uh, I think that um, concludes this week's episode, right, Jeff? Uh, where can yeah. people find you? People can find me on my blog, Strange Harbors, uh, www.strangeharbors.com. It's a blog where I write about movies, film, television, pop culture, comic books, all that kind of good stuff. And you can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at Strange Harbors. What about you, Derek? Uh, people can find me on Instagram and Twitter at the wrong day, day spelled D-A-Y-I-K. I host another podcast called the Film Trust Podcast, where we talk about the latest film trailers and film news and film discussion. Also, this week, I was also on the Concentrated Podcast. So they're a, 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 like a pop culture uh, podcast. This week's subject was about TV shows that we, you know, we've been watching. And of course, uh, I got to mention you know my love of Watchmen, but also uh, a couple of the TV shows that I've been watching. So definitely check out that podcast and our discussion on all the TV shows that we've been watching. Uh, but where you can find this podcast is on all your major podcast platforms, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. And uh, what we'd like everyone to do is go on you know, Apple Podcasts and give us a great star rating, but also subscribe wherever you get your podcasts because it's, it's really a great way to get our podcasts out to more people and, and get, get us kind of seen and, and heard by as many people as we can. And also, if you guys have uh, any questions or comments, uh, please email us at whowatchesthepodcast at gmail.com. 
again, you know, we asked earlier of your opinion. So we definitely love to hear, you know, your thoughts on the whole John Osterman, uh, Yahya Abdul-Mateen as uh, Dr. Manhattan. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, like I said, this will conclude this week's episode. Yeah. Join us next week where we talk about the season finale. All right. See you guys next week.